Ciao, Bella. I am Oceana Fortuna, and this is the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. We'll talk about a magical mix of mystical methods, including everything that works to live your best life, grow spiritually, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, and connect with spirit to embrace the magic that is all around you. If you enjoy the show, please give it a thumbs up or write a glowing review and subscribe so you'll know when the next episode is available. And may good fortune come to all those who listen to the Breathe Love and Magic podcast. And now, on with the show. Today's episode of the Breathe Love and Magic podcast, I have a wonderful guest, Lisa Erickson. Lisa is an energy worker specializing in women's energetics, sexual trauma healing, chakra manifestation, and kundalini awakening. She is the author of Chakra Empowerment for Women and the Art and Science of Meditation, both published by Llewellyn Worldwide. She aids individuals through major life transitions and trauma healing with a particular focus on women's sexual trauma. Lisa is certified in mindfulness, meditation instruction, and trauma sensitivity, and has trained in a variety of kundalini and energy healing modalities with internationally acclaimed healer and author Cindy Dale. She is certified in the somatic technique, Feeding Your Demons, through Lama Sultan Alioni. She is a member of the International Association of Meditation Instructors, the Energy Medicine Practitioners Association, and the Breathe Network, which is a nonprofit dedicated to supporting holistic healing and healers for sexual trauma survivors. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here talking about these topics. There's a lot to get to. Let's start with all this training. I'm curious, with so many different modalities, does it blend together or do some of those modalities stand out or get used more often? The core of my work is chakra or energy center based. So when I'm working in private sessions, that is really where my focus is. And I pull in the other modalities depending on who I am working with. Some people are more visual. So I'll use some of the techniques that are very visual. Some people are not visual at all and we need to stay very somatically based. Where do you feel it in your body? Some people are more talk oriented. Some people it's, they can get lost in telling me stories and it's more helpful to be like, okay, where are you feeling that emotion in your body in order to help us work with something? So it's very individual. It's like, I have all these tools in my toolkit and I figure out what is gonna really help someone get to the core of what they're trying to transform. I love hearing that because I feel sometimes people get very stuck in a particular process. I remember one time I went to this naturopathic doctor and he used some machine that had a dial on it and you held sensor and he would spend all of his time with this thing. And I'd be like, buddy, what about me over here? You know, it's just, he thought he was doing something measuring or whatever, but for me, total disconnect. So I love that you can use all of your learning and know intuitively what's going to work best for the person 
that's fantastic because then you know that person is much more likely to get the healing that they came for, that they wanted, or maybe that they don't even know they need. Yeah, I feel like connection is the core of any type of energy healing. It is about connection. And it's interesting because I also work with a lot of trauma survivors, which we may get to later, but there's a lot of information about trauma sensitivity and you need to form connection and trust to work with anyone. And, and, and almost anyone could have some sort of anxiety around working with a healer, anxiety around getting vulnerable, whether they've had trauma or not. So you really do have to have that connection and be modifying your work based on the individual. If you get too tied to a process, if they feel disconnected, you're not going to access the emotions and energies you need to access. Very good. One of the things I noticed as I was reading on your website is you help women release limitations that get in the way of them fully owning their power. So tell me a little bit more about that, please. Well, a lot of that might be considered emotional work, but I come at it from an energetic perspective. It's like the self-beliefs that we hold about ourselves, some of which may be conscious. Oh, I'm bad at math. I'm bad at speaking in front of people. I'm not good in groups, you know, whatever it is. Some of it, it could be conscious, but you, you've just taken it for granted, but maybe it's not true, right? <laughs> or maybe there's fears behind it you could work through and transform, right? The other things are things that might not be quite be conscious. They may be patterns of anxiety, patterns of people-pleasing, patterns of holding yourself back uh, in order to stay safe, all sorts of things that are defining your comfort zone that are holding you back from really going for what you want. It, can, it could be you have difficulty making decisions about what you want, right? And that there can be emotional imprints. So a lot of this is psychological work. Someone might work through some of it in talk therapy, right? The way I work is a combination of talk and then really feeling the associated energies in your body from the perspective of energy work all of those kinds of things are, are written into our energy body, almost like software <laughs> that we load onto the computer, right? And we're trying to rewrite the software. We're trying to release certain patterns and we're trying to imprint new ones, rewrite new ones, new self-beliefs, new vibrations, literally in our subtle body. Have you ever noticed the push-pull or struggle that comes from the old limiting beliefs and when you're trying to overwrite the new beliefs, like, do you ever no. run into snags there? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people really want to view healing as instantaneous, or it's like an epiphany. You have an insight of, oh, wow, I have this belief because my mother always said this to me. And as soon as I have that insight, the pattern will change, right? And those epiphanies are great, but they're really just the start of rewriting and so you do sometimes have this feeling of two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. In general, you're making progress. The pattern gets less and less prominent. At a certain point, it may only be triggered by a new situation. You're okay when you're in situations you're familiar with, but as soon as it's in a new situation, an old pattern that you thought you were over crops up. And it doesn't mean you've gone backwards or that nothing's happened. It's just that change takes time we're literally also rewriting our brain with new neural pathways, right? For new ways yeah, of thinking yeah. about ourselves, And we know that that takes repetition and it's the same at the energy body level. So there's the epiphany and insight level. There's the release energetically, some sort of catharsis often. And then there's sort of repetition of the new belief system, the new energy that takes time 
there does come a point though, where you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I haven't had that kind of self-doubting thought in two years. You know, wow, that's amazing. It just, yeah. it does take a little bit of time to get there. It's not sort of this, usually this miraculous overnight thing. You know, I worked with a woman who came to me. She wanted to understand about her past lives. So I did, I did an Akashic record reading for her and she kept insisting, what did I do that I need to be punished for that I'm experiencing this now? And I said, you're not being punished as far as I can tell. I, I, it's not my belief system, but in, in addition that it's not what's happening as I, far as I can tell, you are here to learn to stand up for yourself and when to say no and to set boundaries and limitations. And it was a big epiphany for her and she was so relieved and she was a referral from a friend. And within a week, she was telling the story again, I'm being right. punished. I'm being punished. And I thought, Oh, what a shame there wasn't, I, you know, I'm not sure given the format, like I'm, I haven't done the extensive training that you have to work through situations. I was just sharing the visions that I had, but I felt bad that it's like, oh, that's too bad. That epiphany, that realization that she wasn't being punished couldn't stick. And I think sometimes we all probably do this where we have a story that we're very comfortable telling about a life situation or whatever, and we revert to our story. Yeah, absolutely. It's our comfort zone. We can be uncomfortable with a story, like we want to change. And yet still, when we really are at that precipice of, of being about to change, grab onto it because it's familiar. So that's why change is this combination of the epiphanies, which are so important. And sometimes you have to have the same epiphany many times in many different settings. So she may come to a point where she's had it through enough different healers that she's finally ready to let go of that idea. That's kind of how it unfolds. So you need the epiphanies and then you need real actionable tools to use day in and day out. And then you need patience and self-compassion yeah. when you do feel like you fall backwards to keep, you know, to keep going forwards. So that's a perfect example because I do find that your story, because I do find that a lot um, in today's kind of spiritual marketplace because there's a lot of different types of modalities, a lot of different types of workshops. There can be an addiction to seeking the epiphany over and over and over Ooh. because it feels good in that moment. Yeah. And then the day in and day out work of trying to replace that thought or that emotion every time arises actually feels kind of drudgery, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it can be hard unless you have someone supporting that to do that. Kind of an interesting thing. That's very interesting. I could see that. I've noticed I've been on Clubhouse a lot lately. I don't know if you're familiar with Clubhouse. No, not very much. All right. So Clubhouse is owned by Facebook and it's a audio format where they open so-called rooms and it's all about getting people to talk and share and whatever. So a lot of times people are introducing themselves and I've been a little surprised at how many women introduce themselves as a cancer survivor a sexual abuse survivor, um, surviving an abusive relationship and a narcissistic husband survivor. And they, they label themselves as they're introducing themselves. And I'm wondering how you, I mean, I certainly have an opinion, but I'd love to hear yours about what you think about that. Yeah. I think there are phases to healing. And so there is a phase of someone's healing, especially when it comes to things like sexual abuse, where it, would, where it may have been hidden and secret and they didn't tell anyone for years, there's a phase of healing where it is powerful 
to identify that way. Same with cancer, those years after or just after you've done it and, and it was such a difficult battle or whatever it was you experienced, right? I don't like to use that word battle, but you know, it was this really dark period of your life. There is this power to identifying that way. Then for some people that can become a trap. It can become a limitation later on. You know, sometimes people then really to integrate start feeling like, oh, I don't want to identify that way all the time with everyone, right? And it, it, it has become kind of a trap because it's a one-dimensional identity, right? To be identifying that way. So I sort of just view it as, okay, that is where someone right now at this point in their life, they want me to know this about them. They feel it's really important. So I'm just gonna trust that's part of their process. I have had individuals I've worked with where they've done so much healing and we're at, you know, 30 years into their healing process where we have to start going, hmm, you know, are you getting attached to this identity? Is it actually holding you back in some way? Is it time to now look at what it would mean to integrate the wisdom without the identification? But that really is later stages. So that's kind of how I view that choice. So that's very helpful. What you're saying is it's about especially for things that have been held secret. It's about, oh, there's power in owning where they are and speaking that out loud. And that has healing benefits. Yeah, it breaks the shame in particular, breaks right? Breaks the shame. Oh, thank you so much for helping me understand that because mm-hmm. I've been struggling with it, thinking from a, about it from a manifesting standpoint. I've been thinking, wow, every time you say, I'm a cancer survivor. Does your brain just hear cancer? Mm -hmm. But what you're saying opens some new doors for me to understand the positioning of how that's helpful in the healing process. Especially that word survivor, right? Because that word, that is become the power word as opposed to victim, right? You know, that word survivor is like, this is a part of my story, my journey. I had a lot of dark phases around it and I came through. And I own the power of having done that. And so that is really when it is powerful. If someone is owning it that way, it is actually, I think, a very powerful part of manifesting. And I feel what a lot of people who have had had very difficult experiences in their life sometimes feel around some of the teachings around only stay positive to manifest is that it becomes repressive. There's like guilt and shame of, oh my gosh, I have these dark emotions or I have these things that happen to me. I better not think about them or else I might attract more of it. But then how do you heal if you don't speak about them? So it is really this balance. It's really based on where someone is in relationship to what's happened in their life. That is so well said. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And I think- Great question. I love that question. I think that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your book, Chakra Empowerment for Women. Yeah. Well, this is a book. I wanted to take some of the exercises and work that I do in workshops and private sessions and make it accessible for anyone to read, right? Because you can do some of this work on your own. So I pulled out the the tools that I most use that are the most successful for someone to use on their own and put 12 of them in a book. They are very much focused on the feminine energy body, meaning there's a lot of different ways you can use each chakra. These particular exercises are really focused on the things that I find women tend to need the most. Usually a lot of work on boundaries, a lot of work on separating their own emotions from others, worthiness, letting go of people pleasing or patterns around speaking to please others, these kinds of things. That's the kind of thing. And then owning our 
womanhood as a positive thing, right? Like if there's any sort of negative connotations around menstruation or menopause, any of that kind of stuff, really owning it all. The, what are the energetic shifts that occur? How can I work with them? And then I do include information for any woman who's experienced sexual trauma or assault, how that may have impacted their energy body and how they might work. It's really about owning your power. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds excellent. And you've certainly piqued my curiosity. I think I'm going to have to get a copy. Good. Go for it. <laughs> available everywhere. So, <laughs> okay, great. I love to learn new things that I can take advantage of for myself or for my clients or whatever. So that sounds really good. It when, was you have a, when you have an empathic mind, I think it's just what happens because it jumps yeah. around, you know, because I'm that We're way too. Let's shift gears a little now and talk about one of the loves of my life, dating, because mm -hmm. I have been working with women and helping successful single women find love for nearly 20 years now. You had mentioned how there are many recurring patterns that come up that show up through dating, which I've seen too, but I thought this would be a great aspect to share what we've learned. So what, what do you want to start with? Yeah, I think what I find in dating, and, and you mentioned manifesting earlier, and that's part of what we're doing when we're dating, it's partially about who we are attracted to and who we're attracting to us, right? Which are very entwined yeah. with each other. And if we have unconscious feelings of unworthiness, patterns of needing to be validated by a certain type of partner, these kinds of things, people-pleasing patterns, if we don't feel comfortable in our own body, all of that is part of our vibration that impacts who we're attracting to us. And then once we're meeting with someone, how we interact with them, right? So it, you know, it sounds so cliche to say you can't love someone else or you can't attract someone that will love you until you love yourself, but it is so true. And so it in a way, is. dating, yeah, isn't it? It's like one of those things you're like, well, I wish I could say this isn't true, but it is. It is, <laughs> right. So I think actually dating can be a great, you know, format for uncovering your own insecurities and the things that you're looking that you're projecting onto a partner. What are you, unrealistic expectations of how you think they're going to make you feel? And if you think that the perfect partner is going to automatically heal your insecurities, your feelings of unworthiness, a hole that you haven't dealt with inside yourself, that's usually going to be a problem because yeah. either they will let you down, you'll have this big projection they can't possibly live up to, no one ever does. Or you keep projecting onto someone, you get very attached, then they dash, you know, they turn out to be human, they dash your hopes and the whole thing's over. So yeah. it's just the, you know, so many layers to it. Yeah. yeah, so many layers. I always say that the journey to find love is a journey of self-discovery. And sometimes people don't like that. They just want to know where to meet men. I, I love when women call me, they say, listen, I really don't need coaching. Just tell me where to find the men. Like, yeah, that tells me that everything that I need to know, yeah. because clearly you need coaching, because guess what? Men are everywhere, right? Men yeah. are everywhere. So if you're not seeing men or noticing men, and I know this from my own personal life experience, I never met anyone interesting ever for like 18 years. I had what I call Death Valley, you know, there was nothing there but lizards. So, uh, you know, it was a journey for me to learn about myself. Why do I not find any men attractive? What's mm -hmm. happening that's keeping me from connecting with them? 
What am I really looking for? Do I even know what I'm looking for? So this is the kind of stuff that I work with women on. So you would mention there were some recurring patterns like people might be looking for validation or that they're seeking some kind of security and safety. And then, yeah, well, you did mention unworthiness too, or feeling a lot. I've noticed a lot of women who just don't feel worthy of love, or they say, you know what, if they're widowed or divorced later in life, they'll go, you know, I had my shot at love and I'm done now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that makes me so sad when I hear that. It is sad. And, and I have seen so many individuals who did meet someone later in life that became a very beautiful companion. So it happens at any stage of life, right? But it really is yeah. about opening up and not having preconceptions about who that person will be. You know, I do think the safety and security one is huge. If someone has underlying patterns of anxiety, maybe trauma they haven't dealt with, maybe not trauma, but just, you know, not feeling safe, maybe growing up or different things that contribute to that. And they've never developed with it. And they have an undercurrent of anxiety. They can tend to want their partner to just provide safety and security. And that's like the only thing they're attracting from. And if they don't, and that's very hard to feel with someone right away, right? So everyone sort of keeps getting rejected. No one ever matches that, right? Or it's a very one-dimensional relationship that eventually isn't fulfilling. That can be a challenge there. Uh, Or the person can have a lot of self-protective, you know, they don't connect because they never quite feel safe enough to open up with someone. So then they're wondering why, you know, why is, why is it always just one coffee date and nothing happens after that, yeah. right? I mean, it's because they really have difficulty connecting. And sometimes they're actually, I've seen individuals who would unconsciously only be attracted to people who were unavailable in some way. It might literally be they were only attracted to married men or men in long-term relationships. It might be just be they continually were attracted to men who were emotionally unavailable. It may not yeah. be obvious at first because the guy was really outgoing but then it turns out there's a wall, right? And they just keep, but really it's like they are attracted to that because they're actually self-protecting, right? They actually think they want someone they can connect with, but in fact, don't want to be vulnerable. So you have to work on that first and then you'll be open to another kind of person. So there's a lot of layers to this work as I'm sure you've noticed. Yeah, you know, you bring up something that really struck a chord with me I know for myself, I dated 30 men in 15 months to find the man I've been married to now for a long time. And I feel, I feel so lucky. And, but I did a lot of work, a lot of work in the process. And one of the things that happened was I was always a good girl. I always did everything the right way. And number 28 (laughs) was incredibly sexy, romantic, and I knew he was the wrong guy for me. Trust me. I knew from the, but I decided I don't care. I just want to have fun. I want to see what it's like. And the minute this gets ugly, I'm going to kick him out and that'll be it. And thankfully I kept my promise to myself. So we, we went out for about three months and oh my gosh, I have no regrets whatsoever. It was terribly fun. And uh, I really enjoyed myself until I did it. Yeah. And uh, he made me mad and I had to kick him out. So I broke it off. And what I realized was what I needed more than anything else out of Mr. 28 was a willingness to be vulnerable. Mm. And before that, I don't think 
I had been willing because I didn't want to get hurt again. That's why I hadn't dated in 18 years. I mean, I had dated a little bit during that time period, but I wasn't open because I rarely saw anybody that interested me. And I had to be willing to be vulnerable to see that I could get over it. Yeah. And I could survive and thrive and continue my search and not crumble and fall apart and realize how strong I was because I had held myself apart for so long. So I needed that shot at being willing to be vulnerable and the potential of getting hurt that I kept a short lease on because I kicked him out the minute he was difficult and disappointed me, which is a whole story in itself. I was like, okay, bye-bye. And you know, it took me a little while to get over him, but shockingly, not that long. I think within two weeks, I met Mr. 29, who was really a nice guy. And then 30, who I met three weeks later was my husband. So it was just what I needed to turn that corner and connect with somebody at the heart level. And I think a lot of times women don't give themselves a chance. That heart connection, you can't get it any other way. Yeah. And it's a two-way street. So you have to be ready to open it up. Yeah. But, you know, you spoke to so many things that I think are so important. Really, at that point in your process at 28, you you had enough faith in your resilience to feel like, okay, I can go into this for fun. Even though I know I might get hurt, you were willing to take that risk. You trusted that you would get out of it, right, if it got to a certain point. So you already had a certain level of self-trust. And that particular experience, getting over it fairly quickly, built your sense of resilience as we gain more faith in our own resilience, we are willing to be more vulnerable because we'll be like, okay, I'm going to take this risk and put myself out there. And if I get hurt, I'll be okay. Right. And so all of that is so key to being able to date. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to work with it, you know, in terms of counseling and many modalities. And, And from chakra perspective, I've worked on the heart chakra and the root chakra and a lot of affirmations around I'm resilient. I can work through difficult situations and uncomfortable situations and I'll be okay. I'm fundamentally okay, right? It doesn't define who I am, right? And and that is where you really need to be to be able to date, especially in today's online marketplace because there's gonna be rejections or there's going to be people who don't call you back and you have to just be able to let it roll off of you and not define you. Yes, exactly not let it define you. You know, that is such a key thing because they're honestly 90, I mean, in truth, 97% of the men are not going to be right for you. And and maybe it's, maybe it's 98% or 99 even because after you, as you get to know people and that's what the dating process really is, right? It's not, Dating is not being in a relationship. As I define it, dating is about deciding if you want to be in a relationship with this person. It's part of the sorting process and there's no commitment in dating. And I find that unfortunately women get attached after three dates and then they're devastated. And my heart goes out to them for that because that's a terrible way to go through the finding love process, you know, to open up and fall in love in three dates and get crushed and then have to recover which is why I always recommend dating more than one guy at a time because that way you don't, yeah, you don't get so attached. And then, you know, I'll have women tell me I can't find one good guy and you want me to date more than one. So it's another whole story, but it really makes a difference because it keeps you from getting attached prematurely before you've really done the vetting 
process. Because to me, you can't be in a relationship until you've gone through enough with each other that you build some trust and you have a good understanding of who the person is. It could take at least eight weeks, at yeah. least, if not yeah. 12. And then even once you get into a relationship, you may learn something oh, down yes. the road. But yeah, and I think that's the, I find that women who tend to project grasp on really quickly, like, oh, this is the one. Often there are patterns in there of needing to be validated, right? And so each time sort of glomming on, oh, this is the person that is going to finally make me feel loved, make me feel worthy. So there's all this grasping. To be able to not do that, you have to be very centered in yourself right? You have to be so centered in your own sense of self-worth and, and energy body. I, I mean, I think technically the other piece of this in energy teachings is that women's energy bodies tend to be more empathic than men's. We mm -hmm. are naturally more absorbent of others' emotions. So when you are dating someone, you can, that their emotions can be impacting you too, and it becomes this soup. So you have to be very conscious of your own energetic integrity as well. So I think that's where sort of boundary work can be helpful because you're really for that testing period, as you put it, you're trying to sort of boundary yourself a little bit Yes. for a period of time. And yeah. dating multiple people is one way of doing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it really makes a difference because it helps you understand what you will put up with, what you won't put up with, what's completely unacceptable. And all these things need to be explored if you're looking for that lasting love. Yeah. Exactly. It makes a big difference. So I love that about being resilient. And have you like, have you come across anything that helps women feel more resilient? Well, you know, I work at it from two different perspectives. One is, are there still wounds? Are there things from the past that need to be cleared or healed that made you not feel resilient, right? That made you feel like you couldn't, that you couldn't handle them, right? They were too much for you. You know, what is it that you're afraid of basically, right? What are you afraid of? Right. And then we'll do some healing around that. And then the second step is yes, energetically, from my perspective, you can learn to center in the navel to maintain your energetic integrity. You can learn to center in the heart for worthiness and the root chakra for groundedness, which stabilizes you, which is a kind of resilience. I'm safe in my body. So there is chakra work you can do focusing on particular chakras with certain affirmations that create that over time change that we talked about right at the beginning that you have to it's not just about having the epiphany oh wow i don't feel resilient enough so i self-protect so i'm never vulnerable that's a great epiphany and then you have to follow it up with okay how do i actually change my energy how do i change my emotional field lots of ways to do that but yeah i think chakras can play a role in that for someone who's interested Excellent. And do you have any particular tips that might be helpful about this? I, I love affirmations and they're, you know, very popular, meaning saying what I am resilient, right? Like I yes. can handle uncomfortable situations. Saying these things, I think the key to, to affirmations to making them real is you have to actually try to feel them as you say it, right? Yeah. So there's many ways to do that. One is think of a memory when you actually did feel that way. So maybe you don't feel resilient when you are dating, <laughs> but you do feel resilient in another situation. You're very confident at work. You know, you're good at your job and there someone can criticize you and it's nothing, you know, everyone has different environments where maybe they do feel it. Try to really think about that memory of a moment when you feel that way and feel what it feels like in your body as a vibration, as an emotion. And then once you're feeling that, 
say I am resilient and translate it into these other situations. So that's one thing. Then different chakras are linked to different things. So the root chakra is linked to feeling safe, for example. So you can focus at the root chakra and say your affirmations around feeling safe and resilient. Heart is linked to worthiness. So you can focus there when you're saying your affirmations around, I am worthy of love. I am loved yes. now, right now. One thing I like to do with, with uh, people seeking partners is instead of them like writing through a list, because this is what people tend to do. He's got to have this, he's got to have that. He's got to have a sense of humor. He's got to be tall. He's got to be financially stable. He's got to be, but you know, <laughs> he's got to be into hiking, you know, and that's what dating apps have us do, right? Instead, yes. and what I like to do is, okay, how do you want to feel when you're with this person, right? Yeah. And then feel that now. Try to yeah. feel that vibration now without the person, because then you're creating that magnetic vibratory field to yeah. feel it. Yeah. That is exactly what I do with my clients. That's so funny. So first I have them make the list. So let's get that out of the way. And it's amazing how many people don't really know what they want. And I don't let them just focus on physicality and other things or yeah. any monetary goals, but, you know, personality characteristics, what would be fun, what would be compatible, whatever. And yeah. then we talk about the qualities of the relationship. What will your relationship be like? Will it be easy? Will it be light? Will it be fun? Will it be intense? Well, you know, what are you looking for? And then the last piece of that is, and if you find this man and you read through all the qualities you want, and if your relationship with him is, and you read through all of that, can you imagine how do you feel and those feelings to hold onto? Because that is the exact vibratory essence that will create and attract that match so i love it i love it like yeah, yeah. See? it's got to be true because we both yeah. came at it we both found it on our own <laughs> that's right that's right absolutely it's amazing how it really does work of course it helps when you believe that you will find love you know a lot of people say if you stop you know when you stop looking that you know then you'll find it I'm going to say no, unless somebody is doing that treadmill kind of thing yeah. where they're dating, 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 and they're not really, their heart's not open. Yeah. You know, I met a woman once at a networking event and she said to me, you know, I have a test for men and no man has passed it yet. And I said, <laughs> well, good job. Then you've created a yeah. test that no man can pass. You're completely safe. Now she yeah. just looked at me like, what? Because she thought it was about the men yeah, being exactly. unable to pass and measure up to her standards. And I'm like, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. I've met a lot of individuals that have fallen into that. Exactly. And so then the narrative, the story is there are no good people out there instead of it being, oh, okay, I've created a wall for myself. Why am I doing that? It's so amazing. I have a client right now in Manhattan where women complain about men like unbelievable and <laughs> she is going wild dating i mean there are so many men she and she's meeting them they're not just texting she's right. meeting like she's had like five dates last week and she's got a bunch booked for this week and i'm like i just want to make this a documentary yeah. you know there actually are good men and she is 66 so mm, love it yeah, this isn't about being 28 or 35 or 42. Yeah. 66. And she's still meeting some really amazing men. And it's a reflection of where she's at. So I love everything that you're talking about. 
it's so good to talk to healers and find out how they work with people, what their focus is, and the doors you can open when you work through stuff and let it go, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. And when you're really willing to view it as an, an, as an inner process, not just an outer one, right? Yeah. And when you're willing to question the stories you've been telling yourself about it, like there's no good men in New York, right? That kind of thing. You, when you're willing to, to question those stories and let them go, all sorts of things can open up. And it's funny because I do work with men too, although not as many, but I have a lot of men that will say to me, I can't meet any women. They only want this certain kind of guy, right? And um, so both, everyone gets stories in their yes. head, right? And sometimes yes. I'll be like, oh, I yes. wish I could just introduce these two. I can't because the kind of work I do, it's all confidential, <laughs> you know, but it's just interesting to hear it from both sides. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Some of the most fascinating client relationships I've had have been with men because they give me enormous insight into the male mind and how they look at women, how they think about the process as they go through it. And it, you know, I worked with one guy who was had like a killer in sales. He was just so amazing in sales, but he didn't. And you know how you were talking about bringing resilience from one place to another. Mm -hmm. He wasn't bringing his incredible knowledge and adeptness mm -hmm. his mastery of closing a deal into dating mm -hmm. and it was really funny when I woke him up to that I said what where's your game I don't get it what you know because he was waiting for women to get back to him I'm like mm -hmm. what would you sell if you waited for people to get back to you you What's your closing rate? Oh, 96%. I'm like, well, you're not doing that in dating. It was yeah. just the most fascinating thing. Once the light bulb went on, two weeks later, he found That's the woman great. he's still with years later. Well, no, I was just going to say, I think the other thing it really opens you up to when you work with both men and women, and this is a big theme of mine as well, which we didn't get into, but you know, just the conditioning that both men and women are subject to, like how we've divided up traits, masculine traits, feminine traits, and how restrictive it is for men too. We talk a lot about women, women coming into their power and breaking through these barriers that have been put on them. But the barriers are very painful for men too, in terms of so many of them come to adulthood with very limited ability to express their emotions, right? Right. And so that it's like, we need to just open up everyone's understanding of their emotions of their energy of everything well that's what they you know so many people are talking about now that this is a time where there's a lot of activation and there's a lot of raising of the vibration you know a lot of people talk about ascension mm. but that involves embracing both genders in terms of the qualities and all of that. I think that definitely makes a lot of sense about what you're saying. And yeah. so hopefully this really is a time when people are doing that and we can really appreciate all sides. Of That's right. Everyone can embrace all aspects of themselves. Right. That's really the kind of freedom that even, we're trying to create. Do you have any last thoughts or something you want to share with the listeners today, Lisa? I just encourage everybody to explore working with their energy body. If they're new to it, I think it can add a whole nother dimension to your understanding of what's going on between you and other people manifesting in many other things. And I have workshops coming out. My book, my uh, website is enlightenedenergetics.com. So depending on when this airs, check for various workshops I have coming up. 
That's Lisa, great. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you, thank you Ronnie. This has really been great. I really honor the work you're doing. And you as well. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to like this episode if you enjoyed it. Write a positive review if you feel inspired. And subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'll have more about love and magic next time. Until then, this is Oceana Fortuna reminding you to share your love and seek magic every day. Thank you.